listening to First Church Charlotte. I am going to teach for a little while today from this subject, quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. One more time because you need the exercise. Let's stand. Let's turn in the scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5. We will read together 1 Thessalonians 5. To our guests and friends, thank you so much for joining with us. I know we take a, a good bit of time to greet folks. And if you maybe don't know people, sometimes we're all hugging people and you're kind of between uh, people. <laughs> but I want you to know we, we're so glad you're here and we want you to feel at home. We're just home folks. There's no big eyes on little use here. We're just glad you're here. So 1 Thessalonians 5, and we will read at, let's see, verse number 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Punch your neighbor and say, I know God's will for you. Who asked me what is it? Who? Oh, oh, oh. Don't be causing trouble. There won't be no trouble. We got all kind of heathen in this church over here. And Bishop, you would take care of that front row. I'd appreciate that. So this is the will of God for you. Rejoice always. Somebody say yes. yes. Pray without ceasing. Yes. In yes. everything, give thanks. Yes. This is the will of God for you. Verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Quench not. Those of you who grew up in a King James church like me, uh, it's quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. All right. Somebody say in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. So I want to, I want to bring this text to life if possible. I want to bring your attention to the fact that the most valuable thing in our life is the presence of God. Can I get an amen over here? The most valuable thing in our life is the presence of God. Uh, in fact, the whole of Scripture, I'll talk about this more in a moment, is about this subject. And the whole of our daily walk with God is in some way or another about this subject. Pursuing the presence of God, being a temple for the Spirit of God, being a resting place, being that house where the presence of God can dwell. And so I want to look at this scripture and, and we'll get right into it. I, I tried to sing in the 9 a.m. service, but I did such a poor job that I canceled that part. And um, so uh, really I have fans. I have fans. Mm, he touched me. Oh, he touched me, and oh, just because the band doesn't know it doesn't, shouldn't encourage you at all, the joy that floods my soul, something happened, and now, this is your part. touched me and made me whole. Let's praise him one more time. Hallelujah. All right. The only thing you have to say now is, man, Nathan sure can sing. 
It's 50% true, 50% true. All right, so I want to give you this passage with some different looks. ESV, do not quench the spirit. The message translation, don't suppress. Somebody say suppress. Don't suppress spirit. NIV, do not put out the spirit's fire. And King James, quench not the spirit. Uh, I... I want you all to realize that fire, somebody say fire, fire is probably the most common image in the word of God to show us the presence of God. Very quickly, let me survey you through some of the, the biblical story. You will remember Exodus chapter number three where Moses feels abandoned in the backside of nowhere in the wilderness and God gets his attention by showing him a burning bush that is not consumed. Fire gets his attention and as he draws close, the spirit of the Lord speaks to him and invites him to stand on on holy ground. Exodus 13. The children of Israel are led through their wanderings by a pillar of fire. Leviticus 9, we see the fire of God consuming the burnt offering. 1 Kings 18, Elisha says, you pray to your God, now pray to mine. And the one who answers by fire, that is who we will serve. And so in chapter 18, fire falls from heaven. Isaiah 6, you see the prophet seeking after the will of God, seeking after the direction of God, and he is in that house of God, aware of God's present presence, and the anointing signified uh, by the cleansing of fire. What, do I, what, what am I saying? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and one of the angels takes a coal from the fire and cleanses his, touches his mouth, and cleanses those unclean lips. Matthew 3, John the Baptist says of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and fire. Acts chapter number two, they saw what appeared to be cloven tongues of fire that fell on all of them. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse 29, our God is a consuming fire. I want you to see how fire is the most frequent biblical image for God's presence with his people. It is the most commonly expressed image of God's presence with his people. It can manifest his presence. It can manifest his protection. It can manifest divine cleansing. It can manifest divine judgment. It can manifest God's divine enablement and empowerment of his people to do a divine mission. And it can show that he is present in the assembly of his people. I just want everyone to know I am looking for a Holy Ghost fire in this house. I want you to have a sense of the presence of God. I don't want you simply to live in duty. I don't want you to live in fear. I want you to celebrate the presence of the Lord. I want you to live your life like this. From the rising of the sun till the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Can I have a big amen? 
I want you to see that fire is how God manifests himself to his people. Fire is how God showed people that he was He was with them. And so we all of us want the fire of the Lord expressed in our life. We want to know that God is with us. We want to know that if he is, is, is with us, then everything is going to be all right. Uh, we don't want to try to make it on our own, right? We don't want to try to do this on ourselves. If I have to preach by myself, uh, there's a lot easier ways to make money than, than trying to preach without the anointing. <laughs> I want God. I don't want to have church if it's just us getting together saying howdy one to another. I want the fire of the Spirit, which is authentic expression of divine life change in our heart. I love music, but music isn't fire. I love uh, worship, but worship isn't fire. Fire is the presence of God. It just is. The music and the worship and the praise helps us create a tabernacle that hosts his life-changing power. I love this definition of revival. We're us churchy folks. We're guilty of talking a lot about revival, uh, but we we kind of know what it is, but we don't have a formal definition. Well, I came across one, and I just loved it so much. I I realized I didn't really think of it uh, that way. I, I was thinking uh, of it slightly different. Let me share this with you. The overwhelming sense. This is the definition of revival. The overwhelming sense of God's presence that falls powerfully on a Christian people who have become dead and lethargic in their spiritual lives, reviving those elements of their Christian life that God had intended to be normal. In other words, we have slipped from our inheritance. We have accepted discount anointing. And we have lost things that were supposed to be a part of our life. And so the fire of the Spirit comes and it stirs us. And we are revived in our heart and we're like, all right now, I need to get myself back into the role of a worshiper. I need to get myself in the role of a praise giver. I need to give my offering to the Lord. And as you do that, you feel the presence of God. You see... We perceive the presence of God as an experience. Stay with me. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Tasting is an experience. You don't need to know the recipe. You taste it and you're like, my God. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. I just ate one of those chocolate-dipped pretzels outside. It was not on my diet, but don't tell the Lord that I broke my diet. And I was like, yes, Lord. I did not ask myself all of the details. Tasting is an experience. That is the first thing that happens. You experience God, and then you see. Seeing is perception. That is where you have a sense of knowing, a sense of perception. It starts with an experience. You notice the order here. There is a taste, and then there is a perception. And so it is when you start drawing nigh unto the Lord, you feel his presence. And as you feel his presence, you begin to perceive how he is working in your life. So taste and see that the Lord is good. We must be hungry for the presence of God. 
the whole word of the Lord is really a story about the presence of God. It starts in Eden where there is a garden that God has created. It is a prepared place. It is not just a wilderness growing haphazardly somewhere. It is a garden. It is a prepared place. And in this place of God's creative perfection, he places Adam and Eve as the first couple, the first humans there in this place of completeness, this place of perfection. And it is perfect because God is there. This Garden of Eden has become a sanctuary where humanity might be in unity and enjoy presence, the presence of Almighty God. And so it's not difficult for them to have fellowship. It's so easy as at the end of the day, they simply can sit together or stroll together. They have presence in this perfect place. But there is a temptation in this perfect place. There is one tree that is not for them to take. Notice it is not called the tree of sin. I thought a lot about this over over the years. Why is it not called the tree of sin? Uh, we know the day you eat of it, you will die, but it's not called the tree of death. Hear me today. This is some, this is some, some, some pretty good insight the Lord has given me. Uh, it's not simply a tree of sin or a tree of death. Uh, it is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is a really, really strange title. Why would God make us choose between everything he has provided including his presence, and one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is a question we always answer with our faith, and that is this. Is his presence enough? Is his presence enough, or do you have to wonder why? Some people stop spiritual healing in their life because they can't stop asking why. Some people limit their opportunity to do a work for God because they can't stop asking why. Is his presence enough for you? Every individual of faith is going to have to accept a whole world of things they do not have an answer to. And they're going to have to decide whether or not God's spirit is enough. When Abraham is sent into a land he does not know, he's not told why. When he faces the kings that have um, uh, brought his family into captivity, he doesn't get to know why. When he struggles with questions and doubts and fears, he doesn't doesn't get to know why. God does not defend himself. He simply has to answer this question. Is God's presence enough? So it is in the Garden of Eden. Undoubtedly, there's any number of questions. Uh, is his presence enough? Amen. You'll see this again later on in the scripture when we get to the story of the children of Israel going into the promised land. The whole of the Bible. Let me, let me hurry along here. The whole of the Bible is about the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. God's presence is there. And if you read all the way through the Bible, you come to story after question, after illustration, after narrative about the presence, the presence of God. Solomon is finally able to build the house of the Lord. And 
standing before all the house of Israel, he asks a very important question, and here it is. Will the will God dwell with us? Will God dwell with humanity? Will God take up residence with us? And God answers by fire. And there are 120 priests in the tabernacle, note or the temple, note that number. And fire falls from heaven when Solomon asks the question, will you abide with us? God answers, yes, I will abide with you. And the fire falls and 120 priests cannot minister. And so it is that after Christ is born to restore what Adam has lost on the day of Pentecost, after they have been gathered together in one place and in one accord, there's a mighty rushing wind. There's a sound of wind. It's like a mighty rushing wind. It fills the house and and there are 120 of them. Jesus told them, it is for your sakes that I go away. It is good for you that I go away. I will be able to dwell in your hearts if I go away. When I'm here, I am the I am flesh. I am before you. But when I go away, the comforter, I will come unto you. And so on the day of Pentecost, they're all in one accord in one place uh, and fire falls from heaven. And they are all filled with the Holy Ghost. And just like the first temple where the priests could not minister because of the Shekinah and the fire that has fallen from heaven, so on the day of Pentecost, uh, the priests of the Lord, the men and women anointed to carry out this gospel, they also speak in a language no one can understand. It is the fire of God's presence. All through the Bible, until finally you arrive at the end of the book of Revelations. We started in Genesis. It's about God's presence. We're all the way at the end of Revelations in chapter number 21. And all of heaven has collided with all of earth. And there is a new heaven. And there is a new earth. And it is a prepared place of divine perfection and sanctuary. And the Bible tells us that God will dwell with men forever. We must be hungry for the presence of God in our life. It's not enough to have a title over us. It's not enough to be churchy one day a week. We must desire the presence of God. When you wake up in the morning, you need to, before you rush out into your day, you need to turn your affections toward God because you need his presence to be with you. And when you lay your head on that pillow at night before you drift off into your slumber, you need to turn your affections toward the presence of God. I promise you, you'll sleep better. I promise you, you'll you'll dream better. I promise you, your night will be blessed if you, before you turn your, uh, before you close your eyes, you turn your affections toward God. We want His presence with us. We want His presence with us. How do we quench the Spirit? If you were to, if you were to look that word up, uh, it literally means to extinguish. To extinguish. It's as though uh, there was a fire and somebody ran and got a fire extinguisher. And you ran up to the fire, you pulled the safety pin, squeezed the lever, and blasted that fire with oxygen-depriving chemicals where it snuffs out. That's literally what it is like when we quench the Spirit. So how do we, in our lives, how do we, we 
quench the spirit of of the Lord. Uh, we, we do that, obviously, we do that through disobedience, yes. We can do that through uh, harboring sin. Uh, when we know to do right and we don't do it, it quenches the spirit of God in our life. When we harbor sin, uh, it quenches the spirit in our life. When we have a harsh attitude toward others and we uh, criticize others in a, a negative uh, way, uh, get involved in things that has no edification in it. Think about negative things in your life that is without edification. You are quenching the spirit in your life. You need to survey the things that you give your attention to and find the things that are like a, a, a fire extinguisher to your life. And you need to you need to take out the things that are quenching the spirit. It's not really uh, it's not really about sin, although sin is one of those things. Anything you can have a hobby that has grown into an idol that is quenching the spirit in your life. You can give your attention all day long to things that have no worship value to them. It, they might be politics. They might be drama. They might be entertainment. It doesn't matter. You are giving your attention to things that are quenching the spirit in your life because you are not of this world. You are of God. You are not of this kingdom. You are of God's kingdom. Our lives will manifest what kingdom we are closest to. Our lives will manifest what kingdom we are closest to. And we will, in the same manner that, that Peter could just walk some, by somebody, and the Bible tells us that his shadow, his shadow would touch them. And there were literally people healed because they stood in Peter's shadow. This shows the tremendous dominion of God being manifest here on earth through his anointed ones. All of us cast a shadow, and it is the shadow of of whatever light we stand in the midst of. So what lights your life? What fills your heart with joy? What feel, makes you want to, 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 to uh, in some way celebrate? If that's anything other than God, it might be that you're standing in the light of another the worship. You need to get back in the light of God's presence. And you need to let his anointing shine upon you. You need to let his fire burn in your heart. You must be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. We cannot afford to quench the Spirit. One of the most common ways in which we, we quench the Spirit is when we fail to live missionally. We have no sense of God's mission. As a pastor, I uh, probably the most common thing I'm asked about is how to know the will of God. Whenever people are facing a dilemma of choice, uh, they, they very commonly will touch, touch base with, uh, with me or one of our, our staff here, and they'll ask about, how, how, how do I know what to do? How do I know the will of God? And, and I... They should do that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want to point out something here, and I don't. I don't want any any of you to feel rebuked. I want you to feel as though you understand a little bit. Sometimes we're guilty of obsessing over the will of God, and we don't give two cents to the mission of God. Yeah. Aren't you glad I'm not preaching about any of y'all? <laughs> preaching about strange people in other places that need God in their life, not y'all perfect people. Yeah. 
We obsess over the will of God and we ignore the mission of God. I know people who worry for years about whether they should go to this college or that college, this law school or that medical school. And I want to say, look, whichever school you choose, get to be a part of the campus outreach. I've had, true true story, I had a, a gentleman call me and wanted my permission to buy a car. And of course, I gave it to him as long as I could use it on Friday nights. <laughs> no, I'm just having fun. He wanted my permission. I just don't know if it's the will of God. I want you to tell me if it's the will of God. God doesn't care if you drive a Ford or a Chevy. Just pick somebody up in that Ford or Chevy and bring them into the house of God. Do you see how we can become obsessed with will of God and forget the mission of God? And if you ever are praying about the will of God and you don't get an answer, God may not care. He might be wishing you cared about the mission of God. He could use you in this job. He could use you in that job uh, as long as you'll let him. Is that all right? We must be missional. And when we do not perceive the mission of God, that means we failed to perceive the heart of God. Because if we had ever perceived the heart of God, we wouldn't be able to rush past others and indulge in that oxymoronic idea of a self-serve Christianity, which is a fancy, confusing way to say this. There is no such thing as self-serve Christianity. It either has a cross or it's not of Christ. We we must have the mission of the kingdom. If you have God's presence in your life, it will keep you on mission because you will have been exposed to God's heart. When God calls us, we must respond to that. We must let his heart be our heart. We must follow in the direction he would lead us. I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. We, can, we must seek after the presence of God in our life. We must desire the presence of God in our life. This, this story that is in the book of Deuteronomy is so helpful in our understanding because it is the story of, of the children of Israel on the doorstep of the land that God has promised to them. And they are, they are encamped at Kadesh Barnea, and Moses chooses 12 men. 12 men to go and spy out the land. And so these men, uh, they, they go spy out the land and they say, they say it's a good land. They say it flows with milk and honey. I just, I want everyone to know it's a poetic uh, description of very fertile land. There's not really a, a stream of honey that is flowing. Uh, if there were, it would be surrounded by bears and they would be, you could could not get close to the stream of honey. Uh, it would be called uh, Winnie Pooh Stream. <laughs> but that is a poetic phrase flowed with milk and honey. It was a rich land. It was a blessed land. It was a God-ordained place for them, for them to be. There were grapes there that were so heavy in one cluster that really the only efficient way to transport it is if two men would take a stave and they would hang those that cluster of grapes over that stave. And they came back and they brought the report of the land. And the interesting thing is at this moment, the Bible should be telling us this kind of a story. So uh, having spied out the land, the children of Israel rose up, got themselves 
organized and, and went into the land and took it according to God's promise. That's, that's what you would think it would say, but that's not what it says. Instead, uh, what happened is this, and you can read the story in the uh, 20, uh, 20 through 28 verses, chapter 1, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, instead of being willing to go up, Joshua says, you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and you said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large. The walls go up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there, Anakites there, which is a, a tribe of giants, the Anakites there. Um, the interesting thing about these these spies is they didn't deliver a false report. They delivered an evil report. That's important. It wasn't that they lied about the land. They, they lied about what God's intent was, but they didn't lie about the land. There were giants there. They did not give a false report. They gave an evil report. In other words, their ability to believe God was unworthy of the God they said they believed. It's as though God's promise was up here, this powering invitation, and their faith was down here, grubbing in the mud in fear of their own dysfunctional reality. They had been given a promise. Really the best way to understand quenching the spirit is like this. God said you can, but you've decided you can't. Man, that's some fine preaching. That's some fine. Don't you think that's some fine preaching? I think that's some fine. What, what do you think? You think that's some fine preaching? I know Dewan thinks that's some fine preaching. I want you to know how to quench God's spirit and how we do this. Sometimes you have to give yourself compliments. I'm sorry. I just was having an insecure moment there. I want you to see God said you can, and you're living like you can't. There's a better way to live. I don't know how. Remember the Garden of Eden? We will believe if we know how. That's the living temptation for our lives. We need to know why we're going through this. And we need to know how we're going to reach the city. And God says, no, is my presence enough for you? I want to know why I had to go through that pain. God says, no, you don't. Is my presence enough? I need to know how we're going to affect this revival. I need to know what we're going to do. All of that is so you don't have to live in faith. But if you're going to live in faith, it requires that God's presence is enough. And when we live as though God's presence isn't enough, we quench his spirit. 
presence in our life. So I've come to deliver a message to every one of you beautiful people, and that is this. You're going to make it because God said you're going to make it. I said you're going to make it because God said you're going to make it. You're going to be my Lord. You're going to be victorious because God said you're going to be victorious. You're going to make it all the way home because God said I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. I'm going to be with you always even until the end of the world. God said that you're going to make it so you are going to make it. He said he would be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Oh come on first church. I'm here to tell you you're going to pray and the miracle is going to happen. You're going to speak and the enemy is going to be turned away. You're going to breathe the name of Jesus and the demonic forces are going to turn away. Why? God said so. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't need to know how. His presence is enough. I don't know when. I don't need to know when. His presence is enough. Oh my God, I feel the I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I want to deliver a prophetic word to all of you who are still wrestling. And I'm almost done. We can all stand. You are wrestling with why this and why that and why the other and how this and how that and how the other. I'm here to set you free from why, how, when, where. And I'm going to give you one, and you're going to give me four. You're going to give me all those? I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you who. And I'm going to say, your God is enough. But you're going to have to lay that down and stop quenching the spirit in your life. And you're going to have to say, his presence is enough for me. I know I've gone through a tough year, but his presence is enough for me. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody right now. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying and step out of that chair you're in and step down to this front and lift your hands in the air and say, Lord Jesus, I'm opening my hands. I'm ending the arguments. I'm setting free all of the wrestling I have done and I have lived through. I want everybody to be invited right now. Step out of the chair you're standing in right now. I'd like you to make your way down here. And as you come, I spiritually want you to just, as it were, spiritually open your hands and say, Lord Jesus, your presence is enough. Every time I act like it isn't, I quench the spirit. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. 